tools for living, room to grow, a space of grace to become everything God wants us to be. You're listening to the Living Room Podcast with Joanna Weaver. And you guys, we need a drum roll because we're at episode 100. (laughs) Okay, so I know that was kind of silly, but oh my goodness, this is such a big moment for me. When I started the podcast, I asked the producer to number the first episode 001, and he tried to talk me out of it. He said, Joanna, that's really old school. No one does that anymore. But I insisted because those numbers had a lot of significance for me. Because when God called me to this podcast, I knew it was for the long haul. And the fact that we only post two episodes a month meant it was going to take a long time to get rid of those zeros in front of that one. But you guys, the Lord has been so faithful, and I just can't even tell you what a joy and privilege it is to do this podcast and to interview these amazing guests. But most of all, it's such a blessing to know that you join me. There's so many wonderful podcasts out there, and to think that you guys tune in, some of you from the very beginning, well, I pray that this has been as much a blessing to your life as it has been to mine. And to help us celebrate this 100th show, I've asked a very special friend to join us. So let's begin. Well, Susie Larson, I am so excited to have you here because we are celebrating a huge milestone. This is our 100th episode. You were my first guest and you were my 50th guest. And now I'm like, oh yes, we got to have <laughs> Susie back on. You've been, you've been such a personal encouragement to me and um, not just as a friend, but just as a woman of God and a mentor for, from, from afar in a, some ways, cause we don't get to be together very much, but um, God has used you in my life, but he's used you on this podcast. You are the most downloaded recordings, all of that, um, because I think you have a message that we all need. We all need so desperately to know, even when things are bad, God is good. Amen. Even when things are hard, God is working something beautiful more than we could ever hope or imagine. And once again, you've written a book that we really need, especially during this time when so much is unsettled, and it's titled Strong in Battle why the humble will prevail. Can you tell us a little bit about the heart behind this book? Yeah, in fact, I I wrote this in the book that while writing the book, I was in a neurological hailstorm. So uh, many know that it's, you know, I'm into three decades now of of ups and downs of battling Lyme disease. And with that has come other uh, secondary issues. And so while I was writing it just neurologically, it truly felt like I was in in a hailstorm. Just my face was numbing, my vision was blurring, the room was spinning. But then it was like God punched through the clouds and gave like just this ray of sunshine in the middle of the storm and gave me perfect clarity about what to write. So spiritually, I had clarity. Physically, I had I was just really in the battle. But the reason I wanted to write it, and I just felt like that was even such a picture of life right now. I mean, the enemy knows his time is short. And so everybody that I know, 
now is walking through some kind of battle. There's very few people I run into who just feel like their life is on easy street. And I think if you look at the global crises and then you look at the crises under your own roof and in your own sphere of influence, the compounded weight of those things can make people feel like just despair. And one of the things I opened the book with was I just, I've come upon an enemy trick that I think he wields way too often that when we have unresolved trauma, unresolved hurts Mm. in our past, where there's still lingering doubts about what was that about? Why did that happen? And we've not resolved it with the Lord and with his goodness and promises. Those are like open loops in our spirit where they're just sort of, we're we're not really settled on those things. When, When we do that, and again, that's not any shame. It's an invitation to heal. But when those things are there, the enemy absolutely knows it. And he will blindside us, you know, at a very unforeseen moment to, to proje- get us to project a future that God is not in. Mm-hmm. And he'll often blindside us with what I call trauma fears, where suddenly we think, if God allowed that, because we haven't resolved it, then we imagine a worst case scenario in our future with this accumulation of all the hard things we've ever gone through. We picture that multiplied by 10 and picture it in a future that God is not in. But for the believer, you know, no such scenario exists. And I open, I think it was either the intro or the first chapter. I need to go back since I did write the book. <laughs> you know how it is, Joanna. <laughs> yes, it's been I a do. year since I wrote oh. the book. Yes, yeah. Anyway, uh, but there was a story where I was uh, number, many years ago, I was at a writer's conference and I was staying in the basement of a friend's home. Um, in the middle of the night, I woke up in a cold sweat with a visceral fear, visceral, like I felt it in my bones. I don't know if you've ever been through that, where I just knew my son, who is my youngest of three sons, who is in his 20s, would die, that he would not make it out of his 20s. And I was on my face all night interceding, have mercy, oh God, have mercy, oh God. And I was interceding and doing everything I could to pray protection and direction and clarity for him. Well, by morning, I, I, I was not any more peaceful or assured. I was wrung out like I had been just battered and pummeled by the enemy. And what I realized as I kind of moved through that was that I call that a trauma fear. The truth of the matter is he'd been wandering from the Lord. And several weeks prior, I was entertaining what if fears and I didn't resolve them. I wasn't ruthless with them with the word of God. I let them linger. I just, I worried, I wondered, and I didn't deal with that. Well, the enemy, he's a legalist and he'll take every opening that we can. Mm. And that's what happens. And this is why enemy, I'm sure you have seen it. Fear has been one of his greatest, greatest weapons of assault in the last few years intimidation has been another. Well, a trauma fear, again, gets you to project a worst case scenario into a future that God's not in. And it demands you to believe you can't trust God, where a God-given warning is totally different from that. When you're walking intimately with God and he gives you a check and he says, you know, don't take the same way home today, or maybe not today, don't do that, you know, or don't say that, don't go there. And it's this check and it's like kind of a wake up call, but it issues sobriety and and a a carefulness and and a deeper dependence on God. So whereas a trauma fear is you can't trust God, that's what the enemy wants you to believe. A a God-given warning is you must trust him and Mm -hmm. he is gone before you and he's always good and his will for you is your best case scenario. So I say all that to say, you know, the whole book really is about a battle-ready book to teach us how to stand in battle, to really establish predictable patterns by the enemy, to, to, to really allow God into those deep recesses of our soul so he can heal us, so that we can finally get to a place where we believe that he is good. So my hope and prayer is that you come out of this thing knowing you're so profoundly mm-hmm. loved, wiser to the enemy's schemes, and then just more skillful in the way that you navigate battles, because they'll come and they're coming again until Jesus returns.
Yeah, exactly. Well, and I love always love your books because they're they're just always so practical, but you you've made this one especially interactive where where it's a book that you don't just read, but you engage with and you respond to. But then you've also created a journal, Soul Care for the Battle, a guided journal, and they are just so powerful. In fact, I'm really excited to work through it myself because I I feel like exactly what you said, I've been kind of going through where there, it's a different scenario, but it's the same snare. It's the same snare. And I'm, so I'm like, Lord, what is that? What's that fault line in my soul that the enemy just loves to leverage against me? And I think, I think being willing to look at that rather than just assuming the worst. I love what you said. I want to just kind of drill down a little bit because you talk about like you wake up with this fear for your son and you begin to intercede. Have you ever found where it does, it does start with a God check? but then the enemy hijacks it into fear? Oh, 100%. Mm-hmm. How do we discern that when it's when it's the leading of the Holy Spirit and how we can stay in tune with Him rather than spiraling into fear and not allowing the enemy to hijack it? Yeah, you know, I often say wisdom's path is peace. You know, the shoes mm. of peace to step on the enemy are equipped with the gospel of peace. The prince of peace goes before us. So I would say the absence or presence of peace is your indicator because the enemy, anytime that, you know, God makes a move, the enemy makes a plan. You know, yeah. it's always a counterattack. In fact, I love it. Um, you know, I've been saying a lot on my radio show, this is not a time to react to culture mm. or react to the darkness. It's a time to respond to God. And I was talking to one of my prayer mentors about that. And she says, the reason that is so true is she says, is when you're living in intimacy with God, when you're really knowing his love and doing what he says, what you're seeing in darkness is a reaction to the light, you know, because Mm. the light dispels the darkness. So what you're seeing in culture that the enemy is doing, that's his reaction to the saints who are walking intimately with God. Mm. And I just think that's a powerful thought. Another thing that comes to me, and I unpacked it pretty in depth in the book, is James 4, 7. And it says, submit to God, resist the devil, Mm. and he will flee. Well, submit to God is a military term. And it means to get back in rank. And Joanna, I often hear that verse quoted out of context, where if the enemy's messing with you, just resist him. Well, that's not exactly right. He's a legalist, and there is a very uh, judicial nature to God. If you read scripture, there really is, you know. And if the enemy finds an opening, a legal right, he is going to take it. Mm. So how do we get out of rank? Um, well, you maybe usurp authority, you gossip, you harbor unforgiveness, you walk in pride, uh, you dabble and live a duplicit life where you say one thing and do another. There's countless ways you get out of rank, but it's really when your in- internal life and your external life are you know, not the same, basically. You're not walking in spirit and in truth. So if you've given the devil access, he's going to take it. Now, that's not to say if, for every person who's in a battle, it's your fault, but it's always my first line of defense to say, search me, oh God. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything offensive in me and lead me in your everlasting way. David also said, cleanse me from hidden faults. Keep me back from presumptuous sins. So there's things that, you know, our our capacity for self-deception is incredibly high in an age of deception. There's times where you don't even see what you can't see. And so Watchman Nee said, you can't have authority unless you're under authority. So I, my first line of defense always is, Lord, is, did I have something to do with this? Did I open any kind of door through fear, worry? And you, you can even open a door to the enemy through coddling thoughts of insecurity, because that's incongruent mm-hmm. with the kingdom. And right. whatever opening, he'll take it. But as soon as you get back in rank, you have authority. 
So you submit to God, get back in rank, and then you resist the devil and he will flee. And he will flee translates a couple ways. One is he will run for his life. And two is he looks for a safe place to dwell, which means for a while he found a safe place in you. Now that's yeah. pretty telling, don't you think? And so as if you could peel the sky back, I think you would see two scenarios amongst believers. You would see some believers putting their flag in the ground, stomping their foot and said, you know, be gone in Jesus name and the enemy running for his life. And then another pack of Christians running for their lives because this toothless lion has roared his intimidation and they don't know their rights in Christ. So I think it's super important that if a a spiritual thing comes and then the enemy is trying to get you to fleshly react, just pay attention to what is it stirring up in you. Is it fear? Is it a lack of Mm -hmm. peace? Well, first do your business and clear the playing field of the enemy and then say, now speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Yeah. Yeah. So going back to that night, you woke up in fear because I think we've all been there. What could we do different at that moment? Because I think we've all walked through the battle and come out the other side and we're able to see, oh, well, I really fell for the enemy's plot. But I mean, because when you're in the intense emotion, how, how do you break that fear to be able to respond the way the Lord would have us respond? Hmm. Great question. Well, first of all, I would say, you know, I think that's really one of the reasons I wrote the book is that you could be trained for battle before the battle comes. You could be so identified with the love of God, the faithfulness of God, that you have quick and easy access to those tools. You know, Psalm 91.1, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High God will rest in the shadow. When you dwell there, you can access that place of rest a lot quicker. So I would say, you know, again, I had this kind of accumulation of fear and angst and even insecurity about what in the world we raised him with bold and beautiful faith. And what's he doing? You know, um, but looking back in my mindset now and in my maturity now, I would have rose up and said, that son of mine made a profession of faith. He belongs to Jesus. Mm -hmm. Jesus will get him safely home. Devil, you get your hands off of him. But the enemy's trying to triangulate. He's taking his sins Mm -hmm. and causing fear in me, taking my insecurities, you know, so you got to get him out of the equation. So that's what I would have done is taken him out of that equation. Ooh. I love that. I love that. Because doesn't he just love to use smoke and mirrors? You know? Oh, very much. Just loves Mm -hmm. to distort things. One of the things you say in the book early on is in, in the questions that are just so good for just kind of thinking these things out. You say, fear becomes rebellious when we glamorize the past. One, two, we accuse God. You mentioned number three, we project trauma and hardship into our future or number and four, we construct a manufactured plan. Uh, you know, manufactured starts with man where it's mm-hmm. our idea. And I, I love that so much because boy, we, you know, I, I was sharing with you before we went on that I got a Facebook message from a friend who just very bluntly said, I've had it with God. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I believe he exists, but I don't believe he's good. And I don't know about you, but more and more Christians, you know, we're we're not secretly doing that. We're not secretly just checking out of our faith. There are just some that are walking away completely. And I just have to wonder sometimes, Susie, if maybe as ministers, as the body of Christ, as leaders and shepherds, we haven't fully prepared the body of Christ for difficult times. It's almost like we've lived in the last probably four or five decades of blessing. And so we've almost come to expect 
It's not only part of our inheritance as children of God, it's actually our right. And so we look at the promises of God, and then we look at our problems, and we either come up with one of two conclusions. Something's wrong with me. I've messed it up. I've done it wrong. Everyone else does it right. I must be a failure, or something's wrong with God. What do you think? I 100% agree with all of that, and it is so grievous. I'm seeing the same thing. And one of the things the Lord's been talking to me about is the difference between relying on His goodness and presuming upon His favor. Because when we just sort of assume all those things go with the territory, you know, it really has helped me to understand why there's been so much suffering in my life physically. I feel like God has really used that to kind of burn out of me entitlement or any kind of sense that God, God owes me anything. Um, he, he gave me everything in salvation, and He promised life would be difficult. I do think we have done a painfully poor job in preparing the body in the West to suffer because we've known God's blessings. And I will tell you, some of the most painful things I've had said to me in some of the worst places when I've been struggling physically is, you know, one lady emailed me and said, you're a leader at your level and you're still not healed. And, um, you know, but I, I know God still heals. I'm, I'm leaning full yes. into miracles. My own son received a medical miracle healing. I know that. But I also think it's cruel and unusual theology to walk up to someone whom yeah. I know this happened. Their daughter died of cancer. Someone walked up to them and said, she'd still be alive if you had enough faith. That's just wielding an A plus B equals C theology that is yeah. not right. It's just cruel to me. And so I, I think because we, we, you know, in our days of prosperity, we made some rules around things that that don't hold up in the storm. A plus B always equals C. Well, it just doesn't. You have godly right. parents who raise godly kids who wonder because they're, they have, there's a target on their minister's back. You know, you've got someone who faithfully loved their spouse and the spouse still walked away. But Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Yeah. So yes, I, I, I fear that we've not done a great job of helping people learn how to suffer. I remember uh, in my early years as a mama, and you know, I contracted the Lyme disease during pregnancy, during our third pregnancy with Jordan, the my, my one that I had the, the you know dream about. Um, and he, I was bit during the pregnancy. I didn't know, and so I went a year undiagnosed. So during the pregnancy, I was having all these neurological problems. So think about it. I had a one and a three year old, and I was on bed rest for six months. So I used up all my friend favors to watch these one, my two boys, and we were running out of money. Everything about it was confronting my insecurities. So to have that crisis overlap with facial numbing, dizziness, uh, you know, arms tingling during pregnancy, I could not fathom being in my young 20s with the third child going flat broke, losing my friends and going, wait, something else is on the horizon. I couldn't mm. fathom it. And once I delivered him, there's too much of the story to tell, but my my health plummeted and it was up and down and all around it. At first they thought it was MS and then they thought a brain tumor. Then they realized Lyme. And there was a point, you know, every night, nights were tough because Kev would sleep and either the babies would be up which I would get up and not sleeping would make the disease worse. Or if I tried to sleep, the symptoms would escalate. A spear would go through my leg of pain, you know, or all these things. So I remember every night begging God, if not for me, for these boys, mm-hmm. please heal me. You know, I, I was still fairly new in the faith. And I remember one night God just interrupted my lament because he seemed so silent. It felt like he lost my address. And I didn't understand it because the contrast of my life with my friends, they had health, they had wealth. They were living their best life, and I was living my worst life. And I'm like, I was a serious follower of Christ. So I was just like, where are you? And every night, like, you know, this, I'm not asking for the moon. I just, I want 
to be healthy enough to raise these boys, you know? So I, I was offended by God. I was hurt by him and I still yeah. loved him, but I just, that is how I felt. And each night, please heal me, please heal me. It felt like my, my prayers bounced off the ceiling and came back to the bed. And one night though, he said, if I healed you, would you praise me? And I said, you wouldn't be able to shut me up. I'd praise you till mm -hmm. the cows come home. And he said, why is that? Is that because I'm God? I spoke the heavens and the stars into existence. I gave my one and only son for you. Would you praise me because of that or because you got your way? Mm. And in a moment, I, my life flashed before me, and I'm still a fairly new believer, but I realized so much of what I'd done, um, even as a believer, was with me in mind to rescue my sense yes. of self-worth. I mean, I knew I was saved. I just didn't know I was loved. And I would say, Joanna, most Christians probably know they're saved, but don't really know they're yeah. loved. And if you don't know you're loved, you really do misuse your time, treasure, and talents, right? To prove something Jesus has already proven. And so it, then you're not equipped for the storms because you're not really sure that he is love. And so he, I went to the floor face down. I begged God for forgiveness. I mean, I saw my motives. He, my life was a real before mm. him. I saw him in his glory. I mean, I just, I, I was in the presence of God and I saw my life for what it was. And I just said, Lord, if you never heal me, I'll honestly hate it because I hate this disease. It's so hard, but I will serve you. you you've been mm -hmm. my savior. You're my Lord. Not my will, but yours be done yeah. in my life. And then the Lord breathed this poem into my heart. And I'm going to share it if I can from memory, but I feel like it does speak to the entitlement thing, if it's okay. Yes. Um, it, it goes this way, if I can remember all of it. I've walked through many storms. My prayers were filled with tears. The enemy was so big, confirming all my fears. To a distant God, I would ever cry. Just wanting an answer, always asking why. Yet heard I not from him, nor his angels singing. T'was all that I could do, his robe to keep on clinging. Then suddenly one night, as I beckoned him to be, so real that I could feel him, he finally spoke to me. Said he, my daughter Susie, I love you with my life. No more would I ever hurt you than be the cause of your strife. You see, it's not my hand that's delivered all this pain, but it's true my hand is there to hold yours in the rain. It's something how men see me according to their need. Instead of praise and faith, they ask and beg and plead. But I am a God who doesn't change with times, nor change I with the season. I don't have to explain myself or give you detailed reason. I've given all that I could give when I gave to you my son. I emptied out myself for you as if you were the only one. What I do, I do for you because I love you so. What I allow, I allow for you because I want you to grow. In faith, praise, and trust, you will find you are strong. When demands are replaced by a faith-filled praise song, it is there you'll find peace where there once was strife, and it'll be just enough to have me in your life. And I realize, and I, I think this is probably true for a lot of us, that we don't have a, a, a ravishing enough view of Jesus and the kingdom yeah. and what he won for us. So we want things from his hand because mm. he's not enough, but he's all of that and then some. Any gift from his hand pales in comparison to knowing his heart. But when we trust him for salvation, do we really know what we're inheriting? We've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. We went from being an orphan to an heir. Mm. We got the spirit of God in us, the promises of God over us, the purposes of God in us. And it's like, we have been grafted into a royal family. Our eternity is secure and he is coming for us so much so that all of creation groans for the day when God reveals who we are. We're his children. And I think when you're in those places, getting your way isn't the answer because yeah. it'll just, it'll do, to, you know, we want relief. He wants redemption. We want a break. Yeah. He wants breakthrough. He wants more and more for us to be so girded up 
by the wonder of his kingdom, where we go, times come and times go, good times come, bad times come, but in all of it, the name of the Lord will be praised because I'm on an unshakable foundation. Nothing can separate me from his love. And there is no storm that he allows in my life that he will not redeem. He will make the enemy sorry he ever messed with me. But the, the one clincher in that is our cooperation. And our cooperation is to say, God, I know that you are good. I know your promises are true. And I know you're going to make a way for me because Jesus says, blessed are those who are not not offended by me. Yeah. And, it, and the enemy, I say this over and over again in this Strong and Battle book, every day we're given the opportunity and the choice to either accuse God or trust him. Yes. And uh, he deserves our trust. He deserves, and that's, you just wrote the book on trust. Yes. But he, it's such a, to me, it's a life force. To trust him is to hook up to the life force yeah. to say, I don't see it. I don't understand it, but I know that you are good and you will be faithful to your promises. And one last thing I'll say and let you get a word in edgewise, but you know, I should know this verse by heart because it's one I refer to so much. But it's a promise the Lord gave me in several of the worst places of this journey over the last 30 years. But those who sow in tears will reap yeah. with shouts of joy. They weep as they plant their seeds, but they rejoice laughing with a harvest in their arms. It's like Psalm 124, 26, mm. 27 in there somewhere. But I will tell you, Joanna, that verse is proven true every single time. Every time when everything else is falling apart, but I will go, you know what? I, everything else, I can't control this, but the seed, I have some seed and I'm going to put it in the ground. I'm going to water it with my tears because the seed always demands a harvest. God always responds to the seed. So I'm putting the word in my soil. And I'm going to trust his heart and his character. Every single time I have come through rejoicing with more than I planted. And so that's what I would say to those who are doubting, that if you could step back just a little bit, and I understand suffering is, I understand suffering. I just want you to know that. And some of these stories that I'm hearing are just horrific. People are walking through so much. But even so, in the place of praise and worship and trust, that space is when you're going to get clarity. When you go, Lord, you've given me everything, but you also promised that we would endure hardship. And it's mm -hmm. not from your hand. It's from the enemies. But I'm going to overcome because you overcame. So help me to see you just in this moment. What does faith look like here? What does obedience mm -hmm. look like here? And I'm telling you, you'll find the high ground in the next moment yeah. if you can position yourself that way. Ugh. So, so good. You know, I, I think so often, again, because of maybe incomplete theology, or even I think just our nature that tends to kind of gravitate to one message and miss the other. I've been thinking a lot about part of maturity as believers, I believe, is to be able to handle the competing ideas. I, do, I agree, 100%. Mm -hmm. That the blessings of the Lord and yet the trials of this life, that, that even when life is bad, God is good. Those are competing ideas. And that's where my friend's struggling with. She's looking for the good. And yet they're not inconsistent, right? They're not. But mm -hmm. in our limited understanding, and, and that's the thing as I was trying to figure out, Lord, how do I build this platform of faith? Because a lot of Christians are blaming God for the conditions of our world, you yeah. know, not realizing it was our own rebellion that unleashed evil. Part of the reason right. why we're right. so so captivated by having everything good is because we were made mm -hmm. for perfection. But mm -hmm. our rebellion unleashed evil. We have this enemy. We have this free will, this free will that can choose against God. But at the same time, this free will that can choose to trust Him in the middle of the hardest things. And I wonder if sometimes that doesn't bring him more glory and more pleasure 
than all the blessings that he wants to give us. I mean, because isn't that the real testimony? You know, Adam and Eve rejected God in the middle of all the blessing. They vilified him, believed the worst about him. But Job, in the middle of suffering, losing everything that he had, chose to vindicate God by saying, even though you slay me, I will trust you. And this is the, if we don't understand that tension, we are going to have an incomplete theology that either goes, well, God only just wants me to suffer and I, I'm just going to hang on till Jesus comes. Or, oh my goodness, I'm in suffering. God has forgotten me. I'm going to forget him. But I love how you bring it together. And, you know, I told you before we went on, I'm so grateful that you held on to the Lord in the middle of the questions, in the middle of the suffering, 30 years of suffering, and yet you've chosen to believe Him and trust Him. And and those of you who feel like maybe, yeah, I have a little bit of an incomplete theology, God has given us Susie Larson <laughs> to help mm-hmm. bring that balance. And, um, and so I hope you'll go check out her books and, and especially her radio show, Susie Larson Live. But you make a statement that um, I think is so powerful. You know, we get stuck in the why question. And so our answer, even our Christian answer is why not me? But you suggest that we don't move past the first question so fast, that why me question. Right. You know, and I I think I paint the picture in that chapter of some movie that I saw. I don't remember what it was, but of, you know, a plane going down and, or I don't know if it was just, but some diva was stuck in the woods going, why is this happening to me? And she's so spoiled. You're like, you need a little of the outdoor wilderness, you know, but that, that when, when we ask, why is this happening to me? Sometimes it comes from an entitled place, but other times it's from a place of lament. And and when someone says, well, why wouldn't you ask, why not me? Again, that's the balance you're talking about. It's, it's a fair question, but I am suggesting go back to that first question, but not asking it from an entitled self-pitying place, but from a humble, informative place to go. Mm. It, it kind of goes back to the James 4, 7. God, is there anything that, that I'm yeah. not seeing? It, show me, Lord, because there's not a trial that will be wasted on you. And the storms are tempered. The enemy does not have an endless leash to attack you. You know, God knows what would destroy you and he knows what would deliver you. So I can't help it, but go back and constantly say, when, when the storms start raging, is there something that you need me to destroy? Concern here, Lord. Yeah. Why this now? Show me. You know, because sometimes uh, you've allowed the enemy to get in, but other times he sees Calvary mounting on your behalf. He sees your breakthrough coming. He doesn't know the future, but in the spiritual realm, he sees the spiritual realm. So I would imagine as Calvary's mounting to help us run us through to the next place, he knows and senses that a breakthrough's coming and he wants to preempt uh, and get us into a place of such disappointment with God that we can't walk into the places mm-hmm. and the promises of God. So I just think it's really important to ask that from a posture of, I really want to understand. I want to grow in skillful and godly wisdom so I can navigate these times. Yeah. Well, and the thought occurred to me with that question, why me? Again, not from self-pity, but from needing to understand, Lord, what do you want to do that you can only do in this place, in this trial, in this difficulty, in my life, in this situation? Why did you choose me? You know, I was talking to another guest about how, you know, Ananias goes to Paul and God tells him, tell him that I will show him all the things he has to suffer for my sake. (laughs) You know, it's like that none of us choose that as a life verse. And yet Mm -hmm. God had strategically placed Paul and had purposes for his life. Mm 
He he trained him up in the courts of Gamaliel, one of the wisest teachers. He was not only just a Jew, he was a he was a Roman citizen. God had chosen him for a specific purpose. And what if we could back up from our suffering just a little bit and go, hmm, why me and why this? And I think, um, you know, in the middle of pain, it's really hard to do that. It's really hard to do that. And yet that that was kind of challenging to me to be able to even see God's goodness and wisdom in choosing that specific trial. You know, I was thinking of Psalms 27, 13, where it says, um, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Sometimes I think we despair because we're looking for the good. And Mm -hmm. in looking for the good, we miss the goodness of God. Can you talk about that? Wow. Yeah. You know, there's there's a couple of things that come to me. One is, and I'm sure you reference this in your book, Trust, but, you know, Jeremiah 17, where it talks about blessed are those who trust the Lord, who've made him their hope and their confidence. They're like trees planted by streams of living water. Their, their roots go down into the water. They don't fear the drought. They're not bothered by the heat. Their leaves are always green and they continually bear fruit. Well, God had me in that space for a long time where I was just meditating on that, that in spite of drought, in spite of heat, mm. the belief believer can flourish, right? Well, then I went and looked at verse 16, and it says, cursed are those who trust in man. And they are like a stunted shrub in the desert. And the original translation says, they don't see goodness when it comes. And I mean that. So when you're fixing your eyes on what man has done, either to you, what man is doing to culture, or even really good man-made solutions, when your hope is in man, Mm -hmm. you're automatically stunting your growth and dimming your spiritual vision. But when you're trusting in God, you see goodness when it comes, Mm. because you're so in the life force that when, because he says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Well, he says that because you might miss it. And uh, in this book that I just finished, it's going to come out next year. I write about this, but one of the prayer warriors has been praying weekly for my healing and God has done such a deep work. But she said, Susie, unless your default instinctive response about God is this, surely goodness and mercy follow me all the days Mm. of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. She said, if that's not your distinctive thought about God when you think about him. It means something within you needs to be healed and or something within your thinking and core belief is out of alignment. And I started to really think about that because uh, the last couple of years especially have been really, really difficult with just some resurges of neurological trouble, really hard. And I, it, it took a toll on the soul. And anybody listening who walks through chronic yeah. stuff, um, it not only is a physical Um, trauma, but it is a soul trauma because it's just the mental fortitude while the rest of the world is talking and having a good time and you're navigating Mm -hmm. symptoms, trying to be part of the conversation. It, it, It just is unbelievable what it requires. And I realized I had kind of been developing this posture bracing for impact because these surges would blindside me. And I realized, you know, uh, that is not my default response. I love Jesus. I'm in the word every morning. I worship him all the time. And uh, kind of coinciding with that, um, just a story I tell in Strong in Battle, on my show every day, I ask, you know, the opening question is, what is the, what's the Lord speaking to you about these days? And uh, it was a couple of years ago. I have Alan Jackson on about every month. I try to get him on and not the country singer, just to be clear, but the <laughs> pastor, author, Alan Jackson, he's to me has prophetic optimism and wisdom. And I love talking with him, but he'd said something while I was in the middle of one of these kind of surge times, which was just killing me, you know? And he said, Susie, I've been sitting in the passage where Paul goes before Agrippa. And here Paul suffers this injustice, yet he uses the opportunity to preach the gospel another time. And in so many words, Agrippa says, 
you almost persuaded me to become a believer. And, and Alan said, you know, I've been thinking about all the things that God had promised that I'm only almost persuaded mm. about. And if you could hear the interview, you hear my voice crack because it cut me absolutely to the heart because God has made some promises to me about the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living regarding my health. He's made some very clear promises to me, but I let go of some of those promises and I started to waver and be double-minded because of my physical symptoms. And I it took all my restraint to get through that show. And then I went face down on the floor and just wept and begged God for forgiveness. I said, you've made promises and I've let go of them. I, where the scripture says, take a firm grip, you know, take a fresh and firm grip and strengthen your knees, mark out a path. Why? So that the lame won't fall out. You know, you grab a hold because others are infected by your faith. So I was face down, just crying out to God, going, I hate this. It's so, so hard. And he brought me to um, a couple of passages. One was, um, John the Baptist, you know, John, the scripture says, no greater man was born to woman. You know, Jesus said that about him and he baptized Jesus. In fact, he leapt in his mother's womb when Jesus came in the room, in yeah. the womb, right? And uh, and yet when he, he was away from the action, he had his doubts as well. And that should really encourage you if you're in that, because this man, when he was away from the action, had his doubts. And so he sends his friends to ask Jesus, are you the Christ? Or should we be looking for someone else? And Jesus' response is compassionate and full of conviction because he goes, go tell John that the lame leap, you know, the blind receive their sight. In other words, the miracles are still happening. Even if you're not seeing them, yeah. I'm still working and the miracles are still happening. But then he says, but blessed are those who are not offended by me. And that was it for me, Joanna. I, I'd, As much as I loved him, worshipped him, would show up every morning just to spend time with him. I was disappointed. I was hurt. And I was, I was actually offended that mm. I can't believe at this age, I'm walking through this again. And I, I, again, had to just repent of that because he's not, it's, this is not his fault. And I know the question begs, if you can, why won't you? But, right. and I don't know, that's a mystery to me. I will know that on the other side of heaven. But in the meantime, I realized faith for me was to keep my heart tender and teachable yeah. before him. And, uh, I remember interviewing uh, Lee Strobel on his book, A Case for Miracles, and and he's got verifiable, documented miracles. I mean, God is still a miracle-working yes. God. And I said, did you notice any common denominator with these people? And he says, they were all so different in their stories, but the common denominator was they embraced and fiercely embraced and would not let go of a humble, hopeful expectancy. And so I thought, that is my charge. While I wait for my breakthrough, I'm going to trust God with humble, hopeful expectancy and that's a long answer to say, Joanna, that um, if your default response about God is something different than goodness and mercy, he's got something good up his yes. sleeve. He's a good, good God. If it's different than that, um, it just means that you need healing. And I'm encouraging you to mm -hmm. seek it out. Before you walk away, seek it out. Yeah. Seek out someone like Joanna. Seek out a prayer ministry mentor and say, I've got some stuff. Because you know what? Everybody has stuff from this last three years. The enemy knows his time is short and he's going after the unhealed areas of our life. He's trying to get us to pick up lies when life lets us down and we take the bait. And I'm not shaming us. I'm just saying that we have a God who cares you know, yeah. who collects our tears and he is in due time going to make all things new. But I also would submit to you, he, you will see his goodness in the land of the living. Amen. You know, he, he, you will see his goodness in the land Amen. of the living, but your heart condition matters so much right now. Mm, so good. So good. You know, I think, um, as I was just, you know, praying for my friend this morning and, and, and hearing the pain in her voice and the honest confusion, you know, um, 
And yet, if we're not careful, all our questions can push us away from the answer, you know, and the true answer isn't the answer to our issue. It's that promise of his presence. And I was thinking for as many, for as many promises in his words of deliverance and healing and miracles and breakthrough, there are also promises where he says, when you walk through the waters, you will not yeah. be overcome. I will right. be with you. There's this beautiful promise of his presence. And I've just been asking the Lord to help me not default to fear and or the idea that I've somehow missed it, I've somehow messed it up, or that somehow he loves others and he doesn't love me, but that he would give me eyes to see his presence. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Not because I know you're going to heal me, but because I know you're with me. Come on. Amen. I know you're with me. And I've just, I just think, especially in this troubled times, we keep wanting the escape route. We want the, we want the magic easy button. We want the magic wand. And he's going, no, no, no. Listen, that may or may not happen, but don't miss my presence right in the middle of your difficulty. Because I think that's the sweetest gift of all. And isn't that what the world needs? Not yeah. this idea that if you follow Jesus, nothing will ever go wrong. Oh, we've done such a disservice by ever, you know, perpetuating a, a message like that. And yet in times of blessing, it's easy to make a theology yeah. and a formula around it. But, it, oh, God, forgive us because you're so right. I mean, his presence is our good. In his presence, the fullness of joy That's is found. And, and I will tell you, even right now, I, I mentioned before the broadcast, I've been through a couple major oral surgeries and uh, I uh, still have stitches in my mouth even right now and some quite some pretty significant jaw pain, but I have been so captivated in my times of worship. I am so immersed in the goodness of God. I've, I'm so overwhelmed by the kindness of God that this stuff feels almost beside the point. Wow. And it's such a miracle to me that only God could do that. But it really is in like, like that in the poem, you know, in faith, praise, and trust, you'll find you are strong yeah. when demands are replaced by a faith-filled praise, strong, praise song. It's not that he's like, worship me and I'll give you what you want. He's saying, right. in my presence, clarity is going to come. You'll find a strength that you cannot know otherwise. Mm -hmm. We want relief. We want a break. But the only thing is that will carry us over till the next breakdown. And God wants to strengthen us in yes. our battles and strengthen us through the valley. So when people watch our lives, they're going to go, you're walking in an otherworldly power. Right. You know, remember scripture says he's given us his promises that we could participate in the divine nature. You're walking in something that's otherworldly. Tell me about the hope that's yeah. within you. Well, I've got a story to tell you. But if people don't see any hope on us because there's no hope in us, they're never going to ask about it, right? So I just, mm -hmm. I feel like this is an invitation in the shaking we've just come through to, to resettle in our intimacy with God, to reacquaint ourselves with the goodness of God. And if it's good, you know, my friend always says, if your story's not good, it's because God's not done. Yeah. And that's just true. And some of that goodness we will see in the land of the living. But the best part of it, we're going to see in eternity. Life on earth is short. Eternity is long. Yes. But the thing is, every blessing you have in this life, every battle you have in this life, every boring moment has eternal implications. And how you steward it will echo into eternity. Mm -hmm. So it's not about biding our time. And it's not about getting this life to tie up in a nice little bow. It's about placing our feet on the promises of God, activating our faith every single day, enjoying His presence, knowing His Word so you can discern fact from fiction, and walking in His presence as you live here on earth. That's Psalm 116.9, mm -hmm. I think. And Jesus says, for those of you 
when I come back, for those of you I find about my father's business, I will put on an apron myself because he knows how intense it will be before he returns. And for us to be laser focused on mission, on his love, um, is is going to be countercultural. But we can do it because Christ is alive in us. And it brings back to mind Jesus's words. What is the work? What is the work? To believe. The work Mm -hmm. is to believe him who sent me. And I think that that's why the enemy has targeted our belief in God's goodness, in his love, in his ability to work all things together for good. I've been just asking God, would you help me like back out of the weeds? Because when I'm in Mm -hmm. the middle of it, I mean, one day I'm woman of faith and valor, you know, even on hard days, I can, I can super, super overabound because of the grace of God. But then there are other days where the enemy hits me with despair or, and I love, one of the things I love about the journal, and we don't have time to go into it, but I would someday love to talk about what's the difference between holy lament, honesty before God and self-pity, because that's my slippery slope. But that I can bring my honest questions to the Lord, that I can, that I can be okay with the unanswered questions, with the competing ideas. Mm-hmm. And He wants to hear your lament. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah He yeah. He's not. And I think that's the problem. I I I want the answers right now. I want the escape right now. Where He's going? Would you just bring that? Would you pour out your heart to me? And then let's. Let's let let that lay before us together and and let me meanwhile, and I think you've hit something, at least for me, Susie, let me heal that fault line in your soul. That that false belief, you know, that's what I've really been asking God. What is the lie I'm believing about God? When when my faith falters, what lie am I believing? Because if I take if I take time, I'll find out there's something that I'm believing about God that isn't true. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. I'm so glad that we have the Holy Spirit to help us navigate all this, Indeed. aren't you? Indeed. It's Amen. not like we have to figure it out, but we do just have to bring it to him and and let him help us navigate all of this. Would you would you just pray over us as we close our time together? Mm, be honored. Father, I pray for the one listening today who finds themselves wavering between two mindsets, um, wavering on whether or not you're good because life isn't good. And God, would you just um, come around them, breathe fresh life in them, heal their wounds and strengthen their heart. God, I pray you'd breathe fresh life in the word as they open it up. They would feel like they're opening your mouth. And Father, I pray the verses would leap off the page. And right in the middle of this barren place, would you ignite, God, a revival? Would you light a fire? Would you bring streams in the wasteland, God? Would you bring rest to the weary, healing to the sick, God, restoration to the broken? And Lord, I just, I get such confidence knowing that there is a day of recompense, of payback. Mm -hmm. There is the day, God, when you're going to take everything that enemy ripped off from us and redeem it and restore it many times over. Lord, help us to live faithfully, to trust in your goodness and your kindness, that you are a keeper of your word. Your promises are backed by the honor of your name. You can't be any other way because that is who you are. Help us to live as ones who are spoken for. Oh, Jesus, we pray for those who are weary. Bring people uh, next to them to pray for them, to walk with them, to encourage them. But God in heaven, in this day of so much faltering, would you revive your church? Would you breathe fresh life and help us to stand victorious in our battles? In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you guys, I don't know about you, but I feel like I just attended a masterclass in faith building. 
And I don't think I've ever done this before on the podcast, but I really want to encourage you to carve out some time and sit down and listen to this episode again, but this time with a pad and a pen, because I really believe that there are some nuggets in this episode that have the power to literally change our lives, because I'm convinced we need a mind shift as believers, especially in this time in which we live, this halfway faith, this mediocre Christianity, or as what my friend, Pastor Bill Petty calls it, 1-800-CALL-JESUS Christianity. It's just not going to cut it. We need a faith that goes down to bedrock and can stand the test of time. And to help us do that, well, I hope you'll check out Susie's books and her radio show. You'll find links for that as well as episode 001 and 050 that feature Susie's wisdom. It's all amazing stuff. And if you'd like to help me celebrate this episode, this 100th episode, it would mean so much to have you leave a rating or a review at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player. It really does help get this podcast out in front of more people. And one more thing, if you have not checked out the 10-week video Bible study for Embracing Trust, it's releasing in December. And I've created an online shop over at the website where we have a gift bundle that has a personalized autographed book of Embracing Trust as well as a beautiful line journal, a bookmark, a lovely keychain and necklace, all of it that you can give as a gift or give to yourself. Well, you guys, thank you again for being part of my life. I cannot wait for the next hundred episodes because I truly can't think of anything more important or wonderful than learning to live and love and lead like Jesus and doing it together with you. 